Well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you could join us on a cool morning. I want to welcome those of you uh, watching online. More and more of you are watching us around the world and country, and we're always glad when you can join us. So welcome to you, and welcome everybody to 2015. I have some fantastic news for you. The days are getting longer. Ha! They're not getting any warmer, but they are getting longer, and that's always good news, always Fun to say that at the new year. Another piece of good news is you all made it through another year. I think you're here, so you all made it through another year. One other piece of good news is over 44,000 people attended our Christmas services, and many of those folks, uh, yeah, made commitments to follow Jesus Christ. 44,000 came to church over Christmas, so uh, that's just a fantastic piece of news, I think. Uh, But, you know, when I turned 40 years old, which, by the way, was just a few years ago, Uh, I made a decision that the next 40 years of my life would be the best years of my life. So every time a new year comes, I reflect on the past year and I ask myself, was was this year actually better than than last year? Was I more loving? Was I more generous? Did I lead and teach better? Did I treat every person I met as a valued human being who is loved by God? Did I love my wife better? Did I love my children better? And did I fulfill God's purpose for my life? In other words, am I becoming a better and stronger person in how I lead, love, uh, teach, and relate? I'm, I'm now 17 years into the second 40 years of my life, and they really honestly have been the very best years of my life, that by God's grace, I've become a stronger person, not without mistakes and blunders. I make a lot of mistakes, but a lot of it has to do with this decision that I made when I turned 40 to make the next 40 years the very best of my life. So what if all of us did that today? What if all of us made a decision to make this year better than last year in our relationships, in our faith, in our jobs, and in our school, if we go to school? What if each of us said, this is the year I'm going to make some deliberate choices that will make me a stronger and better person? Now, just to level the playing field a little bit, I think some people think that as a pastor, I have an advantage that somehow uh, it's easier for me to be stronger in certain areas, but I can assure you I am as weak and insecure and vulnerable to bad luck as anybody else. In fact, a couple months ago, I was in South Dakota for an annual pheasant hunt. There were 10 guys and five dogs, and as we all gathered in this warehouse area on that first morning, there was a lot of barking and sniffing and yelping, and that was just from the 10 guys. The, the dogs were very excited as well. We were in this warehouse filled with hunting stuff, and the host called all 10 of us together, kind of gotten in a circle around the lunch table there, and he was going to instruct us on procedure and safety, as he always does. Again, we were standing there with our guns and gear, feeling very manly about this whole thing, when one of the dogs came over to me, lifted his leg, and just let it fly. All down my pant legs, all all over my boot. It was so unbelievable, I just stood there. I didn't know what to do with this. The other nine guys found great pleasure in this. (laughs) Thought it was absolutely hilarious and some kind of weird message that God was sending me that the dog would pick me out in the group as the pastor. All that to say, dogs don't care that I'm a pastor. And neither should you. Dogs know that I'm as average and vulnerable to things as everybody else is. That even though I'm a Christian and read my Bible almost every day and pray... I find myself wondering why I still sin and fail and make the same mistakes over and over again, or why I still feel anxious and afraid and spiritually weak sometimes. 
I wonder why I'm afraid to engage spiritually lost people in conversations that could actually lead them to faith. If only I was stronger, I often think to myself. Now, the good news is that I am stronger in these areas than I used to be, but I want to get stronger even more, and I, I want to ask a question, how does that happen? Not just for me, but for all of us. Today's message is called Stronger in Courage because it takes, I think it takes a certain amount of courage to become stronger in your faith, in your relationships, your career, in your life. I want to show you a couple of passages of scripture that contain a principle that is so crucial to becoming stronger in courage. The first one is in 1 Samuel 13, where God's people, the Israelites, find themselves in a bad situation. They're outnumbered. They're surrounded by enemies. They've come into the land that God has promised them, but they're at constant war with a group of people called the Philistines. It's early in their history, Israel's history. Israel's king at this time is King Saul. Uh, Saul is very devoted to God, and Saul knows that it's his devotion to God that allows them to be successful in battle. In fact, he begins every battle by calling his pastor, Samuel, to pray for him. Saul won't go into battle without having his pastor pray for him. And in 1 Samuel 13, it says that Saul has 3,000 men ready for the next war. 3,000 men. But something interesting happens here in Samuel 13. It says the Philistines, their enemy, mustered an army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When the men of Israel saw the vast number of enemy troops, they lost their nerve and tried to hide in caves, holes, and rocks. Many of them fled. The remaining troops trembled with fear. They lost their courage. Their number was about 600. Now, this is a no-win situation. When it's 600 guys against at least 20,000 or more, you can't win. This has all the makings of an old-fashioned slaughter, which is why Saul's remaining men lost their courage. They shook with fear, the Bible says. They were hiding in caves, holes, and rocks. But now look at 1323. A detachment of Philistines had camped near a mountain pass at Michmash that night, and Jonathan, Saul's son, said to his armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the camp of those heathen Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan hears about this detachment, this regiment of Philistines, who set up camp at a nearby mountain pass, Michmash, and he grows tired of hiding in holes and caves, and he decides he's going to do something about that. So that night, he wakes his armor bearer and says, let's you and me, just the two of us, sneak up through these rocks, attack the Philistines, and maybe God will help. I mean, you got to love that. Maybe God will show up. Basically, what he's saying, let's go pick a fight, and maybe God will do something. Now, imagine if you're the, the armor bearer. And Jonathan wakes you up and wants you to go with him to attack an army that outnumbers you 100 to 1. And the best he can promise is maybe God will help. Maybe by some outlandish supernatural act of God, we won't die tonight. Are you in? You just got to love, love the armor bearer's response. Look what he says. He says to Jonathan, do all that you have to do. It's crazy, I know it. Do all that you have to do, but I am with you. Heart and soul. Quick time out. Do you have any friends who are with you, heart and soul? 
you have anybody in your life who's absolutely doesn't matter what the situation is, how impossible it might seem, doesn't matter how bad it gets, do you have anybody in your life who's with you, heart and soul? I'm telling you, this is often the difference between success or failure in our lives, having at least one other person who's in your camp with you. So they sneak up, these two guys. They wipe out 20 men before they knew what hit them. It created such a massive panic among the Philistines that they began fighting among themselves. They were thought they were under siege, absolute confusion, and it put them on the run that turned the battle in Israel's favor from that point on. But this statement that Jonathan makes is so crucial to getting stronger in courage, and there's two parts to it. The first part is, come, let's go up to the camp of the Philistines. What Jonathan is saying is, look, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but in order for God to work, I've got to take a step. This is so key to gaining courage. In order for God to work in your life and mine, friends, we've got to take a step even when it looks impossible because nothing changes unless you take a step and I take a step. So Jonathan says, come, let's go to the camp of the Philistines. Second part of his statement is equally crucial. He says, maybe... God will help. If we take a step, maybe God will do something. Maybe God will provide a way. Maybe God will provide a miracle that we didn't anticipate. But let's take a step. Maybe God will help. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe God would urge you to take a step toward your marriage that's in trouble in some way and see if God will show up. Maybe it's in your career plans or in your financial predicament. I'm telling you, that's when God's power has a chance to show up when we take a step. Jonathan is saying, and what I've seen, friends, happen in my life over and over again is that when you take a step, when you take a step, God will give you, here's the phrase, God will give you power along the way. We have to take a step first, and God will often then give you power and courage along the way. Now, we'd all prefer that God's power and courage would show up before the crisis, you know, before the showdown, before it's 100 to 1 odds. But in this passage and thousands like it in the Bible, Jonathan trusts that God will give him power and courage along the way. But he has to take the first step. One thing Jonathan knows for sure, he's never going to see God's power show up hiding in a hole. God's power just doesn't show up when we're just waiting back and sitting back doing nothing. God always gives power and courage along the way to those who say, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And the outcome is not guaranteed. I understand that. But I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to trust that you will show up and give me strength and courage along the way. There's a New Testament passage in Luke. There's many of them, but I chose Luke 17. Love this passage. Ten leprous outcasts. And they see the miracle worker, Jesus, walking their way. And they wonder, does Jesus heal lepers? Could Jesus do something powerful in our life? And maybe one of them says, well, let's give it a try. So the Bible says they start shouting at Jesus because if you were a leper in that day with this disease, you had to keep your distance from people. It was by law. And so they had to shout things. And they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, do you have power to heal us? Do something amazing in our lives. To which Jesus responds, catch this now, go show yourselves to the priests. Very unusual statement he makes, Jesus does. The priests in, in that day, by the way, 
One of their roles was to verify if a healing had taken place, if something had taken place powerfully. And this statement that Jesus makes doesn't make sense to these guys. I can imagine them thinking, wait a minute, you want us to walk all the way into the city, go to the synagogue, ask for a priest to tell us what we already know, that we're lepers? I mean, Jesus, we're asking you to heal us first. Then we'll go to the priest, and he can verify that we've been healed. But Jesus said, that's not how it works, guys. Start walking first. Show a little faith first. And then you'll see my power. I imagine one of them saying, hey, guys, what's the worst that can happen? If we start walking toward the city, maybe something powerful will happen along the way. Maybe Jesus is waiting to see if we have just enough faith to take a step. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm walking. And I love how Luke describes it in the Gospel of Luke. And as they were going, they were healed. That's power along the way, but it all starts with a step, no matter, no matter what the odds might be. And friends, I'm telling you once again, God has shown me this in big ways and small ways all through my life, and it's what's given me courage, stronger in courage. In fact, one of the small ways happened a few years ago. I've, I've told this story once before. I lost my keys while I, was, while I was hunting pheasants about a half a mile away from my truck in a cattail swamp. Lost my car keys, office keys, everything was on there. It was four degrees, late December, very cold. The sun was setting, and I had a half hour to get home, shower, dressed, and be in Roseville to celebrate my son's 20th birthday. Had my keys in a side pocket and some wool pants. And after you know, walking through all kinds of stuff for three hours, hunting with my dog, they had wormed a hole in the bottom of that pocket, and they had fallen out somewhere in this swamp where the cattails were over my head, the snow was over my boots. When I got back to the truck and realized that these keys were gone, I looked out over the swamp and I thought, there, there's absolutely no possible way that I'll find these keys. There's no way. Dog and I spent over an hour zigzagging our way through the thickest stuff we could find. The thought of retracing my steps and finding these keys was absurd. I stood there on the side of the road looking out at this huge swamp, and this is the thought that I had. If I step into this swamp, the chance of me finding those keys under the snow and cattails is virtually zero. But then I had this thought. But if I don't step into the swamp, my chances are absolutely zero. So I remember I actually whispered a prayer, something like this, God, I know this is impossible. I know, I know it's impossible, but I am going to take a step into this swamp anyway. Would you help me? And I started walking, and we kind of did a replay of, of that day uh, a while back. I started walking, started looking impossible. And I looked down and I saw what looked to be a little piece of dirt. And I just kicked it with my boot. And it was really, to me, it was, it was an absolute miracle. Now, you might be sitting here saying, you know, Bob, things like that happen, just a stroke of luck. And I wouldn't argue with you. You know, the medallion's going to be hidden pretty soon and some of you are going to be looking for that and go at it, you know, have fun. So I know that luck sometimes happens. But I also have seen this over and over in my life, that God is willing to intervene supernaturally into the everyday challenges of our life, lives if we are first willing to take a step toward that situation or relationship that seems impossible. 
And when you see God show up time after time and give you power along the way, you know what happens? Your courage grows stronger. Now, courage doesn't mean you're never afraid. I'm afraid a lot. There's fear in my life. Courage doesn't mean you're never afraid. I'll bet Jonathan and his armor bearer were scared to death, but they still took a step. Even when they were afraid, they stepped out. God showed up, and their courage grew just a little bit more in the all-powerful God. Friends, this has been a game-changer in my life. Absolute game-changer. The only way I know how to grow stronger in courage is to start walking in the general direction that I believe God wants me to go. This might sound a little strange to some of you, but one of the things that intimidates me more than anything else is writing and speaking messages like the one I'm giving right now. Nothing challenges me more, nothing frightens me more or drains me more than that. For those of you who wonder, it takes me about 30 hours a week to research, write, and edit a 30-minute talk, and then it takes me another 10 hours to to kind of memorize it, get it to a point where it's in my my spirit and in my head so I don't just faint in front of all of you on the weekend, so I just have to be prepared that way. And it never comes easy to me. We're in this series called Stronger, but most Monday mornings, I don't feel very strong. I don't feel very courageous. I start with an open Bible, a notepad, and a pen. I have an empty computer screen in front of me, And I wonder, God, are you going to show up one more time? But after a few minutes of Bible reading and prayer, and by the way, I read my Bible and pray not necessarily because I feel like it. I do it because if I don't, I would be scared to death to miss what God would want to say to me. I read my Bible and pray because I have to. It's not because I necessarily want to. I have to hear from God. And so, after a bit of reading the Bible and and spending time in prayer, I look toward my computer, and again, it's an empty screen, and I take a step, and curious things begin to happen. I'll get an amazing insight into a verse that I've never thought of before. I may have read this verse a hundred times before. It's just out of the blue. It comes, I know it's from God. Or God will prompt me to go to Walgreens with my wife where we get into a fight that fits perfectly into the Christmas message about sin and darkness. And even though the fight isn't fun, I'll say, God, thanks. That was really cool. Or God will prompt me, you know, to see or read something that triggers an idea that is so creative. It has to be from him. It can't be from me. And I find that God gives me power and courage, friends, Over and over, God gives me power and courage along the way. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, notice the word when. I feel weak a lot. I don't know if you do. When I am weak, that's when I can become strong. When I'm at my weakest point, it's like, God, I need you. That's when I have the ability to become strong as I tap into the strength and power that Jesus Christ has promised us when we go to him. When I'm at my weakest point, 
That's when I can become strong as I rely on the power and courage that God has for me. I want to ask a question. Where do you feel weak today? Where do you feel inadequate? Where do you feel hopeless? Any of you in a situation that feels absolutely impossible? I would like to suggest to you that it's at that weakest, most vulnerable point that God may want to have you take a step so that his power and courage can show up in your life. It could be a relationship with a son or daughter, could be a spouse, could be anything. Where do you feel weak and inadequate? That could be the very point that God wants you to take a step so his power can show up. I want to get real practical for just a minute. Because some of you face some monumental decisions in 2015. And you're kind of hoping that God will do a miracle while you sit back and wait. You know, some of you are hoping for a voice from heaven to just kind of tell you what to do. Or you're wanting to see a message written in the clouds. You ever tried to see a message and wonder, God, why don't you just say it? Or you're waiting for some spectacular burst of courage to do what you need to do. I hate to disappoint you. But it usually doesn't happen that way. I don't think that burst of whatever is coming your way. I don't think God's power and courage is going to hit you and solve your problem while you sit back watching Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) Friends, there's nothing powerful that happens while you're sitting in a cave or hole or on the couch. Instead, God gives power and courage along the way. Some of you here today need to end a relationship, and you know it. Not a marriage relationship. But some of you are saying, this was wrong from the start. I should have ended it a long time ago. And you're waiting for God to give you a burst of courage to end it, but actually, God is waiting for you, I believe, to take a step and see if his power and courage won't show up. Some of you need to change your habits around food or alcohol in 2015. In recent months, you know you've crossed a line and it's become destructive to your health and relationships and now it's January and you're waiting for that miraculous burst of something to come flying into your life, giving you the courage to change. Has it happened yet? I don't think it will happen unless you take a step. Some of you have habits around spending that has a stranglehold around your life. And it's affecting everything. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your mood and your anger, some of you. You know, why don't you take a step and trust that God will show up along the way so it doesn't continue to harm your life. For others, you need to take a bold, scary step to ask forgiveness of somebody. Some of you need to take a step toward a marriage counselor and maybe it's a hundred to one odds. I understand. And maybe you don't feel like it. I understand. Maybe you're sick and tired of the same old stuff. I understand. But is there a step that you can take to give God a chance? I want to leave you with two challenges as we begin a new year. And the first challenge is this, real simple. Just take a step. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a big step. It can be a small one. But some of us need to stop wishing for a miraculous intervention and get moving 
Maybe you can't solve the entire problem all at once. That's okay. Shoot for 10% or 20% improvement in your problem with money or marriage or consumption. But friends, do something instead of nothing and see if God will give you power and courage along the way. I want to ask all of you at all campuses, what step might you need to take in 2015 to become stronger? What step? Okay. Second challenge is this. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Remember what Jonathan's armor bearer said? He said, do what you have to do. I am with you. Oh, I love that. I am with you. Heart and soul. You know, it's really hard to be courageous when you're alone. I can't be courageous very long when it's just me. I need somebody else in my life saying, Bob, I'm with you. I'm with you. Heart and soul. Who is that for you? Who's with you, heart and soul? If nobody comes to mind, why is that? It could be your spouse, it could be your parents, son, daughter, or friend. But if you can't think of anyone who is with you, heart and soul, why is that? Can I be lovingly truthful here? The reason I believe some of you feel alone is because there's something in your life that is pushing other people away. You might not even know what it is. But for some of you, there's an anger issue. And it just keeps people at an arm's length. They don't want to be around it. For some of you, it's dishonesty. People do not want to be around other people that they can't trust. If you fudge the truth, if you tell white lies, if you kind of, you know, manipulate things a little bit, I'm telling you, people aren't going to trust you. It pushes people away. It could, be, it could be outbursts of language. It could be a critical spirit. It could be arrogance that you're not even aware of. An arrogant person is very difficult to be around. Humility goes a long way. If you're always right, it's hard to be around. One of the best things you could say to someone is say, look, I'm sorry I was wrong. Boy, that's a relationship builder right there. So some of you feel alone because there's something in your life that's driving others away. If you look around and there's not many people following or around you, you know, what step or what action do you need to take in 2015 so that you're not alone anymore? What is it? The weekend of September 27th and 28th, I spoke a message called, Is It Possible to Have a Healthy Family? And some of you were sitting there saying, man, Bob, you don't know my family. They are Looney Tunes. It is not possible to have a healthy family at all. And I understand that. But in that message, I said, you know, if I can convince just one couple to not give up on their marriage, it would be worth it all. The next morning, I got an email from a woman I'll call Jill. She took a courageous step, and she gave me permission to share her words with you. She wrote her in her email. She said, Dear Pastor Bob, my husband and I are recently separated. He just signed a lease on an apartment away from home. We have two small kids. Our marriage fell apart because little things added up over time. It was the slow fade, the slow drift. Then he had an affair, and we've been arguing terribly over the past months because of it. So I scheduled an appointment with a divorce lawyer. I didn't see any hope, and now money's going to be incredibly tight. But when you said, if I can convince just one couple to not give up, 
It made me think, maybe I don't need to rush into divorce. So I canceled my appointment with the lawyer, and we agreed to go to marriage counseling to give God a chance to do something powerful in our marriage. I don't know what will become of us, but I'm trusting God to guide me. Please pray for us, Jill. I wrote back, dear Jill, I'm so sorry for the hardships you and your husband are going through. I will pray for a miracle of restoration, healing, and new life for your marriage. You have my utmost, utmost respect. And then I said, nothing is impossible with God. On December 7th, just three weeks ago, she wrote back again, Dear Bob, back in September, you said to protect your marriage at all costs. I had made an appointment with a divorce attorney. My husband had left us. We had gotten involved in, he had gotten involved in an affair. But I canceled the appointment and trusted God. My husband ended the affair, and we began talking again. I convinced him to spend a weekend with me at a marriage treatment center called Retrovi. We just completed our weekend, and it was amazing. God moved in our hearts. It was like we were seeing each other for the first time ever. This week, my husband is moving back in with our two young children and me, and it's going to be a joyous Christmas, reunited as a family. Yeah. And then she wrote these final words. She said, please let people know, no matter how impossible something is, God can do powerful things in your life when you take a step and let him go to work. Warmest wishes, she says, and deepest thanks, Jill. The place that they went is right here on the side screens. I've been praying all weekend that if there's a troubled marriage here today, you'll write that number down, 651-464-5855. Notice it says, a lifeline for troubled marriages. Some of you need to take this step and give God a chance for your sake, for your children's sake, for everybody around you. I understand for some of you it's too late. You need to know that there's grace and forgiveness available to you in our prayers that you would get on a stronger path so this doesn't happen again for you. But man, take a step. It doesn't always turn out that way where pe people get reconciled. Some relationships are truly beyond repair. But I wonder today if anybody here needs to take a step toward an impossible situation to give God a chance. Some of you maybe need to pick up your phone and say those difficult words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And see if God will do something powerful. Maybe it's to take the scary step from your car to the counselor's office or to the addiction recovery group or to sign up for our nine-week Financial Peace University course that's going to be offered in February at four of our campuses. Take a look at them. Blaine, Coon Rapids, Lionel Lake, Spring Lake Park. Thousands of Eagle Brook attenders have overcome their financial problem by taking a step and going through this course. And friends, you can too. If you're in financial trouble right now, this is what you need to do. doesn't matter how little or how much you earn. You can overcome the financial difficulties in your life, but you've got to take a step. It's not going to happen just sitting back and hoping that God will do a miracle. It's not. I'm convinced, I believe this to my core, that if you take a step, God will show up and he will give you power and courage along the way. And 2015 really can be the very best year 
in every one of your lives. And I'm going to be praying for that. Hey, next weekend, uh, come back. We're going to be talking about Stronger in Character. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic weekend, I'm sure. So all six campuses, let's close in closing prayer now as we, as we come together. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your, your word and your truth. God, I pr- my prayer today for myself and for everybody here is that as we stand before you, the almighty God in prayer, that you would shine a light into our hearts and reveal to us that area where we feel weak, where we feel inadequate, where we think something is impossible. And God, as you shine that light and bring to our mind what that issue is. My second prayer, God, is that you would give all of us the courage and the wisdom to take a step, to ask someone to go with us. Don't do it alone. But God, I pray that you will help us to take a step. Now, Father, we just commit ourselves to another year, 2015, if you are gracious enough to give us all life through this next year. I pray, God, that every one of our lives will be better and stronger with you at the center. We need you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic day, everybody.